Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Lucas Hyde podcast. It is episode 15, part two, and it is with Chris Cantwell. And in this episode, we go over a bunch of different things. We talked a little bit more about sports, especially concussions and CTE with American football and kind of his thoughts on that and where that's going, especially because he played rugby and kind of the relationship there. And then we move a little bit later on into talking about board games, which is something that we both have an overlap in and we really enjoy uh, talking about. Um, We enjoy playing board games together. We have a weekly board game night that we go to on Wednesdays when everybody can get together. So I was glad we got to talk about that because it's one of my favorite times of the week. And it's something that I really enjoy. Um, going to and I was glad we got to talk about it on the podcast um, because it's just so much fun going there and then the close off was we did some science fiction talk or just fiction in general and kind of our thoughts on fiction what type of books we're reading right now we talk a little bit about dune Um, so if I got anything wrong with dune it's a bear with me and then after that, we kind of closed out with nutrition, uh, just starting that because he wanted to ask me a little bit about my thoughts on nutrition. So I closed the conversation off right when he asked me some of my thoughts on nutrition. I tell him that's where I started. And then also with the science fiction talk, we talked about fiction versus nonfiction and why he uh, prefers to read one over the other. I'll let you guys listen to find out which one he prefers. Um, and then it was a lot of fun. And without further ado, the intro is a little bit shorter this time. Thank you, guys. Uh, it is episode part episode 15, part two with Chris Cantwell. I was so excited to have this. So without further ado, here's Chris Cantwell. Thank you, guys. Thanks for tuning in. And then did you... Uh, so back... I, I want to touch on this before it gets away from us, is... um. The rugby. Did you lift because of rugby, or were you playing rugby before yes, was, you were lifting? Uh, I think I started playing rugby because I started playing rugby when I was thirteen, okay, or fourteen. And how did you get into that? Uh, it was I. So I came out of middle school and was, I played football and wrestled in middle school and couldn't give and didn't want to kind of give the time commitment to do those sports in high school. Rugby was only three or four days a week because yeah. it was a club sport. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like rough and tumble, which is what I was looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went with that and it was a lot of fun. I played it for four years in high school, played for a couple of club teams um, throughout college. I think I played a total of about 10 years. It was a lot of fun looking back. I don't know if I'd do it again. <laughs> really? There's just so much, it's just so much mileage on your body. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. It's so much wear and tear. Every little like. There's no pads. It's... Yeah. And like, well, I, I feel like it's, there people always talk about like the comparison between football and rugby. And I think they're pretty, they're, they're almost exactly the same. You're just getting beat up the whole time. It doesn't matter if there's pads or not. Yeah. There, there are people that argue that rugby is safer because there's no pads because you're not wearing armor and running into each yeah. other. You have to take care of yourself as you're running into somebody else. But mm-hmm. Uh, for a lot of it, it's all the same. It's concussive yeah. force. It's mm-hmm. force on your joints. It's twisting in unnatural ways. So yeah. I got beat up a lot. Yeah. Uh, but I, everybody does. And mm-hmm. that's kind of, there's a, like an unfortunate thing about the culture of sports like that. Because mm-hmm. a lot of like a lot of like the rougher contact sports have that where it's like a badge of honor. Like, oh, I broke my nose so many times. Oh, geez. Oh, I only have. I want to uh, avoid that. This many ligaments. Oh, my tooth got like, there's, well, there's, there's sports that really kind of celebrate that kind of thing. And I was never of that mentality. Yeah. I was never of that mentality. Uh, looking back, I'm, I, I'm happy. The, the, the mental benefits of having to put up with 
like just the pain and getting beat up all the time were awesome. Yeah. And the dealing with the jitters of there's a moment in rugby um, where unlike football, when when the kickoff happens, you in football when the kickoff happens, you know who's going to catch it. It's one of two players in yeah. the backfield. Should I move this closer? Sorry. Just a little there's bit. One, one there's um there's one or two players in the backfield they're gonna that are gonna receive it in football and rugby. They they kick it towards one of eight players that are basically like the linemen, and that's kind of where I played in the forwards. And you didn't know if you, the ball was gonna come to you. So that moment right before the game is beginning, never the second half, just the first half, because you hadn't actually started yet. And you might be the person to catch the ball. Oh, and I was never very good at catching the ball because I never practiced it that much, but that was like such a nerve wracking moment every single time. And all it was was catching a ball. I had no problem running into somebody twice my size, yeah. but, kept, but, but, but having to catch the ball, like dealing with moments like that, dealing with moments of adversity, adversity, that's, that was great. Um, oh man. Looking at sport, looking at sport for that purpose as a means to, to grow and prepare for life. That's how we should be thinking about sports, I think. And, and in that way, I'm very happy that I played, but, mm. and I'm happy I'm doing jujitsu, but yeah. It was a big toll, big yeah. toll on my body. I think I'm I'm ninety percent sure I'm going to need a knee replacement within 10, 15 years. Oh, your knee is. You were showing me your knee the other day. So what is going on? What's I have? It like I, pops out. Almost. Yeah, it's gross. It's pretty gross. So there's a ligament that runs through the middle of your knee called the PCL. Yep. And it is less commonly hurt than ACL and uh, MCL, mm-hmm. which I've also hurt in my other knee. But um, <laughs> the PCL, it isn't on my knee. It isn't completely ripped, but it's stretched to the point from rugby that it basically is unaffected. So if I sit on my butt and then flatten my heel on the ground and then move my lower leg from my calf and my shin, it like moves around freely. It's pretty gross. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty disgusting. And that carried over from rugby? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Happened when I was 20, I think. Yeah. Oh, geez. And was that just like one big hit or over time? It was actually from, there's there's a moment in rugby where the ball carrier gets tackled and the ball carrier has up to two seconds to put the ball down. And then they kind of lay there. It's pretty crazy. It's called a ruck. So, you, so the ball carrier gets tackled, puts the ball on the ground, ideally towards their team. Yeah. And then the two teams get into a little shoving match It's where, where they try to push each other past the ball. And whoever drives the, who drives the other team past the ball gets to pick it up. Okay. So somebody in front of me had been tackled. Okay. And they put the ball down and I stepped into the the ruck to push the other team forward mm-hmm. so that my team could p- pick the ball up. Mm-hmm. And another one of my teammates joined in, which is legal, but he tripped and basically Ooh. tackled me. And so the, both of our weights just went straight down on my knee. Oh, and yeah. And uh, I've had a loose PCL since then. But Did you ever get it repaired or just... Uh, I don't remember why, but they were basically like, nah, like the, every doctor I've been to has been like, nah, don't worry about it. You're just going to get a knee replacement when you're older. <laughs> and I mean, with, with how good knee replacements are getting, it's not the worst thing in the world, but mm-hmm. I'd still prefer to have healthy knees. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. And then wait, hold on. So I'm kind of curious here how, how rugby works exactly. Cause I've never had it explained to me, but I mean, this sounds like a perfect time. So, sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Rugby, American football came from rugby, so they share a lot of commonalities. Like in football, American football, when you score, it's called a touchdown. The reason why it's called a touchdown is because in rugby, the ball can be carried into Mm -hmm. what is the end zone. Yep. Um, and it has, but you haven't scored yet. You have to literally touch the ball to the ground. So it's common in rugby 
for a player to run the ball into the try zone is what it's called Mm -hmm. and get tackled out of bounds or have it ripped out of their hand or even players can dive under the ball so that the ball itself never gets touched to the ground and the score doesn't count oh wow um so that's that's where the term touchdown came from. So um, I, th- I forget. I used to know the history of it, but basically, they they wanted to make it, um, I think, safer. Teddy Roosevelt had something to do with it, and football came from it. But the flow of the game is much more like soccer. It yeah. doesn't stop. Rugby came from soccer, so uh, soccer is kind of like football's grandparent, if you think of it that way. Yeah. Um, but so the game goes. A ball, a ball carrier gets tackled and that ruck thing happens. Mm-hmm. And if your team keeps winning rucks, then they get to pick the ball up again and mm-hmm. they pass it off to somebody who then gets tackled. And then you keep going until you score, score or the ball gets counter rucked, which is when the player that got tackled yeah. messes up somehow or their team wasn't there in time. Mm-hmm. And the other team pushes pushes them backwards and then they get to pick the ball up, which means possession changes and it just goes and goes and goes and goes. So play can, without penalty, play can go on for like 30 minutes straight mm-hmm. in rugby. Um, but there's two groups of positions, basically there's forwards and backs mm-hmm. forwards are like kind of like linemen, linebacker, the bigger, thicker guys yeah. and backs are more like wide receivers in football. Yeah. And there's one player in the middle called the scrum half. That is kind of the connector between the two. But generally, play goes. It's very much like if you're a for, if you're a forward, you're one of the big guys. You basically just run into the other team yeah. at short distances, get a little bit of ground. R- somebody else runs into the other team, gets a little bit of ground. There's some little tricky plays you can do on the forwards, but basically, it's just run into people. Um, and then every couple plays, you try to set something up with your backs, and those can be fancier plays where you do misdirection, you skip people. Um, but it's it's a really fun sport to watch. It's a very confusing sport to watch because I just gave you the breakdown, and there's a there's probably about a thousand other rules that yeah. that, that also yeah. go into it, but it's, it's really fun. Um, I don't think it'll ever get popular in America, mm-hmm. but if, 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 because I think there's no, there's very few commercial breaks and a lot of the American sports are all based on having commercial breaks. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, so I don't think it's ever going to get popular in America for that, for that fact. And the whole, if, if what they're saying about concussions is true, there's, I, I probably had five, six concussions <laughs> playing rugby. So it's going it, to, that's going to hurt it pretty badly. I think mm-hmm. I'm actually curious to see what's going to happen to American football. Yeah. Um, I, it's like 10 years ago, I would never have imagined a world where American football wasn't as popular as it is. It wasn't such a cultural like mm. it's staple as it is, but you know what? It's, it's getting to the point now where this CTE stuff is pretty yeah. much undeniable. Yeah. I just watched, um, a, a documentary on, um, what's that HBO show with Gumbel, Brian Gumbel, real sports, real, real sports of Brian Gumbel. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's a phenomenal investigative, um, sports journalism show. Yeah. And they met with a bunch of people that are, were NFL players from the seventies and they were supposed to be receiving, um, money from a settlement for victims of CTE. And the whole point of the investigative journalism was that all these people that clearly have symptoms based on CTE were not getting the money they were supposed to. Yeah. And the NFL countered it was because there's so many fraudulent cases, they can't take any risks. But the, the man, these people that have these multiple concussions are messed up. And it's yeah. a whole bunch of different stuff. Some of them uh, it's some of them. It's, it's manifested as severe depression, anxiety, ALS. Jeez. Uh, it's yeah, it's bad. So looking at that and looking at sports, 
like that have heavy amounts of contact, really football, rugby, I guess men's lacrosse has a lot of contact too. I don't think they're quite on the same level, but I don't know if these things are going to exist. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy to think about our culture not having football, but I, I, I really think it might be, that may be the case in 20 years no, or think so. it'll be so different. Cause I mean, I've, I've already seen from teaching the amount of kids that play football. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, when I worked, interestingly, uh, and there's a whole bunch to be read into about this. When I worked in the poorer schools, their football numbers were not nearly hurting as bad, but the better the school, <laughs> the fewer people are playing football. Oh. And there's been a, and there's been a rise also of flag football leagues, which is cool too. I like that's a whole different, whole different sport at school. Mm-hmm. Um, but so if, if I, I wonder if I'm seeing teachers, education, peewee football, they're seeing ripple effects that are going to matter in 20 years when the player pool is so much smaller mm-hmm. because oh, kids are, kids' parents aren't willing to let them take the risk of getting their brain rattled. Oh, geez. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. And then I think I remember I got a concussion in my first year of college. That was pretty bad, mm-hmm. but I got neat in the head. <laughs> um, and they were saying that a lot of the players that get concussions usually – they were saying, uh, I was, I was at a D one school and I, I like asked them because I'm pretty chatty. I was like, who, where do you get the most concussions from? They were like soccer. Yeah. They get it from jumping. I don't know if it's, I guess they jump, they like jump up at the same time. They'll knock heads or whatever, trying to go for the ball. It's kind of scary. I think, yeah. I mean, I'm, they it absolutely happens in, in soccer, but I think there's, there's With football. A, it's really the, drastic. Although there's also a culture of, of not acknowledging it and like it's yeah. a and i don't think that exists in soccer and i'm not saying that's there, there, no judgment on that that's yeah. fine like i think i think you should whenever there's a possible concussion you should speak oh, up yeah. but in football and in rugby it's there's there's like kind of the rub the rub some dirt on it mentality oh, um yeah and it was the, when i coached it was like as soon as somebody said something like we need to stop like you're basically not playing until we get a doctor to look at you or we talk to we're pretty sure you were just like scared and didn't happen Mm -hmm. but it's yeah because i don't think the first concussion they theorize actually does permanent damage yeah it's the getting a second concussion while while your brain is still yeah and recovery from the recovery from the um first concussion can be wild like it's sit in a dark room don't listen to music. Don't listen to the radio. It's terrible. Don't watch TV. Just sit in a dark room for months. Um, that's some of that's some people's recovery protocol. So, if if it's as bad as as some people are theorizing, yeah, I think it might be, it's going to be drastically different how how we look at sports and mm. the sports that we we begin to value. Now, I don't know if football is going to go away, but I don't know. It might. Yeah. If, if if not enough people are playing it, then something else might take over or some modified version of it. Mm. That'd be pretty crazy because it's like the staple of our society. I wonder if you'd see like other sports grow again, if you'd see like more growth in baseball again or. <laughs> I don't know. think so. Yeah. Well, unless I think, like I said about the, uh, my, my. Basketball's th- growing. That's, yeah. I think that mm, is. That's, see, that's a possibility. But the problem is sports, part of the reason that I think f- American football is popular is because it's so regimented. Everybody gathers on Sundays. The world pretty much shuts down oh, on Sundays. Right. Um I'm a hockey's probably like my hockey and MMA are the two, two sports I follow, but mm. I don't, I catch probably 10% of the games. I'm, I'm like a pretty, I'm an okay Eagles fan. Like I don't, I, I care, but not that much, mm. but I saw pretty much every single Eagles game mm. because I knew when it was going to be. And all of our city shut down, like pretty much the world shuts down on Sunday. So I think that 
because there's frequent breaks in football and they get to do they get to make a, a buttload of money from advertising mm-hmm. and because they it, it's so regimented that everybody knows this is going to be the time that we're going to watch it and it's going to become a social thing on top of it hey your girlfriend doesn't watch football i'll bring her anyway she can hang out with the other people that oh, don't yeah. watch football like that that's part of what has made football the thing and i think that's also why soccer is not taking over because soccer's like i i can watch a soccer game it's fun but there's no breaks there's no time like there's no good time to get up and go to the bathroom there's no time to sit and like talk about other things football is made for that yeah it's seven seconds of action 30 seconds of not seven seconds of action 30 seconds of not seven seconds of action and then two minutes of commercial break where you can sit and talk to your friends so that, I, th- I, b- I believe that's a huge contributing factor this is, to the success of football is that it's not actually about football. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's about hanging out and regimented having and that, having uh, fun. Yeah, yeah, just having that um, social interaction with everybody. Mm-hmm. I, could, I could see that totally be su- super important because it's more fun watching it with your friends than I, – I don't watch any sporting event by myself except tennis. I, I mean, I watch tennis yeah. by myself, but, I mean, I watch that as, like, improvement. You know mm-hmm. what I, mean? I don't watch I, – like, I'll watch a bunch of – I may watch basketball YouTube videos, but when it comes game time, I watch it with my friends. You know? Right. Yeah. Well, you're watching for two different purposes then. The ones tennis is for improvement, basketball is for enjoyment yeah. and the social part of it. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what will take over if football goes away. Mm-hmm. That'd be pretty I, – I can't even – we'll see. I mean, if it happens, it's something will, you know. It's, it's Sports are too big, I think. So, mm-hmm. I mean, something will. All right. Mm-hmm. I have – I want to know because – do you have any other hobbies that you're hiding from me or things that I don't know, <laughs> like you had rugby. I didn't know about that. And then you were huge. You were jacked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there anything else that you're like super into or, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I know you're really into, it's hard to like say like what you don't know about me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know you really like board games and yeah, I'm like- super into board games yeah, and mm-hmm. you're also super into board games. Mm-hmm. Um, we're in the golden age of board games right now. And yeah. some people know that some people don't, mm-hmm. um, so that that's something I've actually fallen off a bit with that over the past year, just because my schedule's so busy and getting people together is so frustrating. Oh, yeah. It is so like we we've set up board game nights and like I've got five, six, seven people coming and then all of a sudden it's just be me and you or me yeah. and you and one other person. Uh, but board games are phenomenal and I hope, I hope that they, I hope they continue to grow because yeah. kind of the whole social thing, like it's a good yeah. A lot of the games are good. Like you get together, you play the games, you hang in between turns, you talk. Yeah. Um, but the the mental benefits of board games are so understated, so yeah. understated. I've I'm I'm waiting for the right time and way to implement them in my my class I was somehow. My kids like, are you going to use it as like a sort of a teaching tool? It, the, it's the problem is we have we have very restrict kind of restrictive standards with that like everything needs to tie back into yeah um so what grade do you teach again sixth grade sixth grade english mm-hmm. so it would be it, it would be difficult to justify it i could i only have 180 days to work with the kids so i'd have i'd have to figure out i'd have to get clever i will do it eventually though but the but the the thought that it teaches the model of thought that it teaches is it, it model it like prepares kids for life it, it teaches ways of thinking that's going to help them be successful in their in, in their their lives mm-hmm. let's take um ticket to ride because that's one that you know exceptionally well yeah. <laughs> and i know and i know very well for anyone who doesn't know i've played like hundreds of games of ticket to ride mm-hmm. not necessarily the board version but i played the i played like the ipad version yeah i played that while it's like 
you know, just sitting on the toilet or whatever. I just play games over and over again because I had a little competition with my dad going on where we were just who could get the highest score and ticket to ride. Mm. So we were playing. This is one of my favorite stories is we were playing it. This was like maybe our second or third board game night. And you had just like just learned that I was kind of into board games. Yeah. And you invited me over and I was like, you were like, oh, let's play Ticket to Ride. It's pretty easy. And I was like, you guys don't know <laughs> what you're getting. <laughs> we into. did not. And then I like said, I was like, I've, I've played probably like 500 games of this. You're like, okay, we'll see. <laughs> and my favorite thing to do is score everybody at once. And then I love scoring myself last because I want to see if I double anybody. And, and you did. I think you doubled everybody but one person. I doubled everybody but one person. Mm. Yeah. I scored like 140. That was huge. So let's 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 break down Ticket to Ride just to, to prove my point. Mm-hmm. Um, let's, let's describe it first. So Ticket to Ride is a board game in which um, you're trying to build routes of trains across America through various cities. And the longer your route is, the more points you get. And everybody is simultaneously trying to populate the routes. So um, you might try to do something and then somebody else takes the track that you want. And at the same time, you're picking up different resources that allow you to put new trains down. And then at the end, all the points that all the, the points you get are from how long your routes were, if you made specific city to specific city that you were told to buy a card and that's basically it it's actually a very simple game and if you're at all interested in getting to board games it's one of the best oh it's like entry points Mm -hmm. it's like carcassonne almost just a little Mm -hmm. carcassonne is another good one but so to prove my point like let's what what goes into what goes in like what what do you have to be good at to be good at for ticket to ride think of all the different things like what 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 immediately comes to mind what's a, a skill or two before I get into that, mm-hmm. I just want to point this out. This is something that you do that I've noticed Uh-oh. that I admire is that um, you'll take something like you'll break it down. And you'll look at like a board game, for example, you look at Ticket to Ride before we go into and you'll break it down and be like, what is this has very useful, applicable purposes. And then you maximize those applicable purposes. Mm-hmm. So um, that's just something I admire. And I wanted to point it out before I lost that flaw. Sure. And it got fl- like it fled away from me. But. So in Ticket to Ride, you have to be able to, you have to manage your, the amount of trains that you have and understand what you can and can't build. Mm-hmm. Um, because you might pick up a card near the end of the game and understand, oh, I can't build that because I simply don't have enough trains. So there's planning. Yep. You have to plan ahead of time. Not just that. And then you have to plan ahead of time for the cards you have to pick. So you have to like plan phases out where I'm going to be drawing for a while. Resource management. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So those are two of the big ones. And then if you want to go even deeper, you could then make it to where trying to figure out problem solve what other people are building Mm -hmm. and then try to block them off. And think as you're playing with two, three, four other people, think about how many things go into that mental calculation of, okay, I want to do this based on what I see on the board and what they're, what colors of trains they're picking up. Mm -hmm. What are the, what's this player and this player are likely to do? It's kind of like chess, like predict prediction. It's way more fun than chess. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's also you have the planning element, the resource management element, the thinking about how other people are thinking. You then have to be able to adapt when one of your plans fails, doesn't work mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. So those are just four things off the top of our head that we listed. Um, if I if I got my students to do that and or did a, some games like it every single day. They're going to, and then, and then on top of all that, one of the bigger things before I go on is the socializing with other people. That's the, important. The yeah. soft skills of 
being able to have healthy competition, mm-hmm. being able to learn to like chit chat while you're playing. That's yeah. an important, that's like one of the most important life skills. That's is- probably, again, that's like one of the most important things about going to board game night is going there and just having a discussion. Cause when you're waiting for your turn, there's nothing to do mm-hmm. and you've got four other people at the table. That one person's taking their turn. You can discuss something. So you're not only you're building friendships, but you're building all the skills like that you, that like, kids are not necessarily getting today in like the digital age. And I, I don't hate digital stuff, but like mm-hmm. you're the, the, the skills about chit chatting with people, small talk, getting along with people, finding common interest, all those things. If I had my kids do that for 20, 30 minutes a day, yeah. um, that like compared to a lot of activities that are done in school that maybe are wastes like, like waste of time or less useful, they would be so much better. And that's mm-hmm. just one game. That's just one game. I think if you played Bonanza yet, I don't think we've played Bonanza. Okay. Bonanza, I believe. Bonanza should be taught in like law school and it should be taught in business school. It's a game of re- another resource management game where mm-hmm. you're, you're like trying to predict what the people are doing. Mm-hmm. And there's a trading element where you talk to other people. But basically my point is that there's an education to be had in everything. Education can be fun. So why don't we do more stuff that is fun yeah. that also builds that build skills at the same time. That mm-hmm. That's kind of how I approach things in, in my mm-hmm. classroom. But I think there's a lot to it. Yeah. And if I ever get to a point where I have any kind of influence in education, that'll be one of the things that I try to do is try to open up things to, to, to more more play, whether it's structured or unstructured play. I actually mm-hmm. just took a grad class all about the neo, neocortex development, yeah. which is the like the newest part of our brain, like what separates us from mm-hmm. um, like our our ancestors and like our ability to like be creative and having time to just to basically let our mind wander and play is one of the things that develops the neocortex. Mm. So if you think of it in this way, it's actually one of our most developed brains, like our parts of our brain, just Mm -hmm. being able to be creative and let our mind wander and develop, like they just kind of figure things out like creative thoughts or whatever it may be. That kind of reminds me of the, uh, if you were able to implement that like kind of board game style into teaching and those games and they would teach kids the tools for certain aspects that before they know it, you know what I mean? Yeah. Do you, so do you watch Vsauce? I don't. So Vsauce is, um, he creates, so I love watching YouTube videos and I know we've talked about this before. You kind of missed the YouTube age type thing. I think I missed it by like a year. Yeah. yeah. So you're not big on, you, you're not like as into YouTube as I am. So, but what Vsauce does is he, um, is a, he picks topics. I don't know if he has like a degree or anything or he has a degree in something. I don't know what it is, Yeah. but he'll pick like say a math or science topic and he'll say, well, what's a recent episode? Let me think. Um, he'll do like an episode on infinity or something, or why is, red red like why don't you see the same red that i see or do you see the same red that i see he'll pick that question and then he will then problem solve his way essentially he'll start with the topic he'll completely divert from the topic and then tie it all back in together and his whole principle is he's he's an amazing public speaker. he's like i before i ever do a public speaking thing he, he's gotten a couple of awards for he's on a ted talk and stuff and um i always watch one of his videos because he's like a big inspiration for me to really improve my public speaking is mm-hmm. I listen to him and how he ties everything together. And his main principle is what he wants to do is teach something to people before, before they know it, like before it's like when it's too late and then they realize you've taught them. You they like, go, Oh, trick them into doing it. I love doing that too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that would be cool with the board games. Cause essentially like all that resource management and everything like that. And that's, education is kind of moving in that direction or at least some parts of it um, where 
we are exiting an age of a lot of restriction and rubrics yeah. and there are there are some areas that are allowing us to kind of do some stuff like that like yeah. um but it's the thing about the thing about trying something like that like if you're mm-hmm. going to try a lesson that's going to kind of like get the kids to learn without them knowing that they're even learning yeah. is you're going to you're going to fall on your face a couple times yeah it's and gonna fail a couple times and if if you're dissuaded from doing it yeah because you failed a couple times then what you, you're going to go back to the old stuff and then yeah. you're not going to try anything new again and that's mm. that's unfortunate but you know i'm all i'm i'm pro alternate yeah. forward thinking yeah i'm gonna look that guy up and see if i can include him vsauce is in incredible. my class you can just if you so i would say if you were like a science teacher i would there's so many just science videos that he does mm-hmm. where he'll talk about he'll talk about even something like something interesting like his question will be can you make an earth sandwich and it'll be, can there be a point where you can have a bread that is on land on one side of the earth that can also be on the other side yeah. of the earth at the same time? And the Pacific Ocean, Ocean, and then he'll go into a topic. This is one of his videos that he does. And then he just goes and talks about the Pacific Ocean for a while and how huge it is. It's just incredibly massive and you don't see this normally. Mm-hmm. And then um, there's only really like a couple different points where there's land on one side of the earth where it's also on the other side. And then he'll go and he'll just break that down and then all of a sudden he'll tie it all back in. You'll be like, Oh my gosh, wow. I didn't even, it all came back to that first question, but you learned about 15 other things while you were doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So like, but he does other things too, where, um, I think he's done a couple language ones. Like, why do you say certain things or why do you think certain ways or, which is pretty interesting. Like he's, his videos are incredible. I'll check it out. I'm not opposed to the YouTube. Definitely not. Mm-hmm. I embrace. I I try to embrace that because that's that is the that's that's where kids live. Like that's their culture. Yeah. So by embracing it, it's like you're already speaking their language, mm-hmm. kind of. Um, I've so talked I'm, to my friend about this, Joe. You met Joe. Yeah. Um, I've learned a lot of stuff just being online. Like, yeah. Most of the math principles that I've learned, I'm not like I've learned from just going online and. Like someone like Vsauce will break down some certain math principle and then I'll be like, wow, math is dope. I think math is so cool now. And you probably hated it in school or didn't like it as much in school? No, I didn't like it in school because I didn't really put in the time to understand it. But when someone breaks it down like that and they like as I've grown and evolved as a person and just gotten more interested in things. So what's the world going to be like when these resources online are are more engaging than the lessons that can be taught in a classroom. Cause yeah. in a lot of cases they already are yeah. like a, a well-crafted like YouTube video that explains or a something. Podcast or something. Yeah. A podcast, absolutely a podcast. But so we, we are exiting an age where there were experts in content yeah. and they were like, like they were the only ones you could get it from. Like, like they learned from a textbook or a professor of college and then they went and they were teachers or they were professors in college themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not the case anymore, though. The, every every person who has access to the internet or a library has access to pretty much any piece of information they want ever. So we're gonna we're getting to a point, I think, way sooner than most people do, where the people that are actually teaching the content are be, could are better than any kind of strict like information teaching than any teacher could do in, in a classroom. Mm-hmm. Now, there's things that, that classroom teachers will always be able to do better than then like um, what like managing managing kids and the socialization like i I could imagine that okay in in, i can imagine a future where your kids aren't even sent to school to learn english and history 
Uh, maybe math because math is weird because math is like a system. But I could imagine a, a future where you don't send your kid to school to learn history. Instead, they go on Netflix history, ancient civilizations, and they watch it and they do activities through that. So they do the actual content and learning. Mm-hmm. You send your kid to school for socialization. You send yeah. your kid to school um, to learn how to work in, in, in groups. So back back to what you were saying about the earth sandwich kind of thing. Mm-hmm. A lot of jobs, at least from what I what I gather, a lot because I'm a teacher, but like I, what yeah. a lot of jobs, are, like they operate like that. Like, can we do this thing? And can your team figure out how to do this thing? Okay, well, in order to achieve this thing, we need to consider this, this, and this, and we need to understand this, which we don't really understand. So we're going to dive deep into that. So if like like the way that he approached explaining can the earth be made into a sandwich kind of mirrors how a lot of like teams attack um, like projects at work. So if we created education that mirrored that and we optimized and we really focused on creating people that can work into groups, work in groups, solve problems, accomplish like successful projects, problem solve when issues come up that, and then like when they need to learn stuff, actual content, go online to the better resources online and learn that. Um, I I think, I think that's a future that is very real and very possible and potentially might be a better use of our time. Maybe not yet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But 10, 15 years, like, I don't know. Like I'm so I have a degree in history, read a whole bunch of history books. I will probably I would say ninety-five percent of the time rather listen to a history podcast or watch yeah. a history YouTube channel over reading. Yeah. And I'm I'm like an older millennial, so it's just gonna get worse as yeah. as as kids go on. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I'm a huge proponent of reading um for different reasons, mm-hmm. but like for Getting information into your brain and understanding stuff about content, I don't know. Like nowadays, I think reading is something that you have to... That's in the on spot. Yeah, I'm just making sure. <laughs> the reading... The reading. Um, reading, I think, because I love reading, but nowadays, my brother doesn't read, his friends don't read, and they just say, I don't like reading. Mm-hmm. I don't read books. I watch videos. I'll go on YouTube. I'll watch whatever. But I think reading is like a... It's almost you have to start it young or something. You have to learn to enjoy it and creating those pictures in your head or whatever too. Cause I, but I don't necessarily read only science books. I read a lot of – like you read a lot of fiction books too. Mm-hmm. Fiction is kind of where – but where I thrive. I love reading science fiction novels or like the book I'm reading now is is incredible. That series is – it's – What are you reading now? I'm reading Iron – I believe it's Iron Gold I think. Um, it is part, I forget the name of it, but it's part of the Red Rising series. Um, th- I just got the book like two days ago, so that's why the name, okay. the name escapes me. Mm-hmm. But um, you would like it. So are you reading Dune right now? I am, but you that's are. a sore subject. I'm about a third of the way through Dune, and I might I might abandon it. I'm, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, up, I'm not. Where are you it. at right now? I Spoiler, I am at the point where um, Duke, what's his name? Atreides. Yeah, the head, the the father of Paul is. Mm-hmm. Um, he just got turned on by the doctor, mm-hmm. and I well, I get to the point with books where if I feel like it's a chore to keep reading, I usually push like two or three more days, and mm-hmm. if I still feel like it's a chore, yeah. I drop it. And that's actually 
relating back to teaching, an important thing that we don't teach kids. Yeah. And when we don't teach kids that, they feel trapped by the books they read, yeah. mm-hmm. and then they develop a bad taste in their oh, mouth for sure. reading, and then they end up like your brother, never reading. Never reading, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, bringing it full circle. But Dune is, uh, it's the first part of it, I have I had no idea what was going on. That first third, where you're at right now, I had no idea what was going on. Mm-hmm. It gets a lot better and more bananas once you get to, I would say, the last two thirds. When Paul becomes the main source of everything mm-hmm. and he becomes the main character, it gets way more interesting. And I think the second and third books are way more consumable than the first one. Really? The first one is so intense and there's so much information thrown at you. Because I just read the second one. I started the third one. Mm-hmm. And I was reading the second one. I was like, this is easy. This is so much easier than the first one. Because it just started out with Paul and it just stayed with him throughout. And I mean, it, it changed like point uh point of view a couple times but i mean it was way more consumable hmm. so i think i i totally agree with you the first part of that book is rough it's there's just so much world building i know it's um, crazy and there's so much like specific vocab that you don't know and I it's told a, you. it's also like middle eastern based vocab yeah i told you my, my copy of dune the first 100 pages or whatever is just vocab Oh yeah, you. Oh yeah, I forgot you did say that. Yeah, yeah. To, for you to refer back to. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. I didn't do any referring, just because I wanted to just read it, and that was not the the world is so interesting. Once you once they're out in the desert, it's way more interesting. Okay, because the desert is once they start interacting with the. I always mix it up. It's it's fremen, the fremen, but I always I always read it as freemen. Hmm. So I always read it as two E's, but it's always one. Yeah, it's Fremen. Yeah, yeah. Um, once they're interacting with them and the sandworms and stuff, that is way more consumable and interesting than the beginning because the beginning is just there's all this history and it's bananas and they're mm. trying to explain what like the um, the rules of the world, the yeah. rules of the government, how Arrakis works. Yeah, I don't know, and I'm I'm like a nerd for sure. Yeah, uh, but I don't know. I and so I wondered. And you could tell me because you've read a lot. Like, is what is Dune like just so popular because it was the first of its kind? Because I imagine it's. It, it I was, think its take on. So, do you know the premise of it at all? He, I know it's like it crosses over. He's Paul is like potentially like the religious savior yeah. and like a prophet also. Okay, so the whole prophet thing is the primary thing. Okay, is uh this um it's I forget the word it's. Uh, presence, presence, or whatever, whatever lets you see it in the future, or whatever, pre uh, something. Mm-hmm. I forget the word. Um, and I'm also not very good at pronouncing things. And I'm also a terrible speller. If anyone didn't know, that's uh, autocorrect all the time. <laughs> so, um, but they take. I think what's so interesting about it is that they have a very interesting take on uh, the whole thing. Is that he is a he's a prophet. The the take on it is much more interesting than. Uh, I think other things where they can just see the future and see events happening. So this doesn't really spoil anything. I'll kind of explain it. Just well, I might not even read it, so continue. <laughs> okay, so the way he can see the future, in my understanding, and I might be wrong because I've definitely gone back and like, so I've read something like the Night Angel trilogy. I've read it 35 times. So um, I get like something new out of it almost every time. And this one I haven't, I've only read once. So bear with me this is my own interpretation of it and i haven't read in the last time when i read dune was like four months ago but he can see every action that leads to the next action and then follow the most likely path down to and then he can see the whole future which is crazy 
It's actually bananas. Like that's how he sees it. He doesn't see it by seeing the future and those actions happening. He sees the whole chain of events that happen. And he has to figure out what's going to happen based on what he just saw. No. He, so what he can do is he can look at what the moment he's in or whatever and see the most likely outcomes. And then he follows the most likely outcome. And it's really interesting to describe because it's almost this. So in the second book, what happens is this doesn't really spoil anything at all. So for anyone who's reading it or even for you or whatever, he, um, there is a point in time where he describes being locked in the vision where he is in this vision and he knows exactly what's going to happen. Um, but he can't change it for whatever reason. It's kind of, it's this really weird and interesting take. It's really trippy. Okay. It's, it's kind of funky. Yeah, it's maybe really interesting it. that I like when they talk about that. Um, that's the most interesting thing for me is mm-hmm. when it, you go and you get a, like a deep dive into his head and then you have to like, it's everyone just is like, he's, they just give him this like profit pass type thing where they're like, he can just see everything. Hmm. It's pretty crazy. I like that the take on it's very interesting. And then I think that the world itself, Arrakis or Dune, I think that world is, that world appeals to me a lot. I think it's so cool. I just think the whole sandworms. That is my favorite part of it. Yeah. They do more with that in the second, in the second book. There's almost, there's absolutely none of that. Um, but it solely follows Paul. And in the third book so far, it's his children. And it's really weird because, um, the lady Jessica, uh, so she is, this is, she's pregnant and she's, um, there's like one part where she, her kid becomes like fully aware while it's in the womb and then stuff like that. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. It's, I don't know if I'm going to get that far. I might, I might finish the first one. I, I can't imagine. It's pretty that I'm gonna crazy. Keep going. <laughs> Um, if anything, I would say if you're struggling with it, I would say like skip until they're in the, I would say just go until when they're in the desert and see if you like that. Okay. Yeah. That well, might, it might be worth it from there just because, um, it's so good, but there's a, it's a, I think this happens with a lot of books too, is that people, they take these old science fiction novels or fiction novels, whatever, and they put them on this pedestal Yeah, and then it's hard to, it's hard to acknowledge the issues with it too. And then. Like for me, I picked up Dune knowing what everyone thought about it and that it was incredible and everything like that. And then once I picked it up, the first part of it, like you said, that first third, I was like, I don't know what's going on. And I don't really like this. Like, I don't really like it that much. Mm-hmm. And then that second two thirds, I was like, okay, I, I started to enjoy this. And it's the same thing with everything. Like even Lord of the Rings, like it's the same way. There, It has its issues and it has its flaws because most people's, um, for Lord of the Rings is their interaction with it is the movies. The movies are nothing like the books. Right. Or well, I mean it's similar. They all they all get to the same place in the end, but that's pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. And then I think there's something to be said about these new fiction novels that are great. Like Game of Thrones is a perfect example. Well, everything's building on the prior success. That's how everything works. Yeah. You're building on the prior successes, learning from their mistakes. That's how everything works. Yeah. So of course, everything's going to be better. Mm-hmm. Like it's rare that something from the past is going to be the best version yeah. of it. So this, like, like I think there's, I really like these new fiction novels, like Lies of Locke Lamora. Love Locke. I think yeah. they, it's my favorite and, fantasy book. Yep. Mm-hmm. I think they take a lot of the aspects and improve on it. Like Game of Thrones is a perfect example, and I think that it does a lot of what the world building that you get with Tolkien and lore that you get from that. I think you get a majority of that from 
him, but you don't get necessarily stuck and bogged down in certain aspects that aren't necessarily as important. Yeah. So the way like Tolkien writes is for the fellowship of the ring, like he's very detail oriented and the book is very long. You don't necessarily have a lot that happens, but game of Thrones is always moving and people really enjoy that. Mm -hmm. So I think that it kind of improves on that in that aspect, but then there's also something to be said where like Lord of the Rings is like my favorite thing. And also I like these shorter ones too. Like this one I'm reading now is it's only four books, but it's, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. Like it's almost like Dune in a sense. It they start on Mars. It kind of gives me that Dune feel. And he is a society has degraded. It has evolved in their world, but the way we look at it is has it, it has degraded. Everything has been genetically modified essentially. So everyone is born into a color cast. Mm-hmm. So if you are born into the red color cast, you have red eyes, red hair. Um, if you're born in the blue color class, blue eyes, blue hair, mm-hmm. gold is like gold eyes, gold, gold hair. And they're the arbiters of society or whatever. And it's pretty interesting because like the reds are whatever cast you're in, like the reds are the slaves. That's their group. All their whole job is to do all your slave work. The blue they do, they take care of all technology. Greens are greens. I think are also in there somehow. And then like pinks are all for, um, creativity and pleasure and, they run like all the whorehouses and stuff like that. And everyone's living on different planets and stuff. It's can, pretty I, interesting. can I guess that someone doesn't like the cast that they're born yeah. into? Oh, wow. Okay. It's specifically the reds, the reds. So, um, it's pretty interesting. So the character Darrow, he, um, he's born a red and this is like, this doesn't really spoil. I mean, this kind of spoils it, but you get this after like the first chapter. The whole thing is that he uh, he gets like rebuilt as a gold, and then he is a gold who is then has to take their whole thing is to take down gold society. Mm. It's incredible. It's okay. Maybe I'll check it out. I think it is. I I like it better than Thrones, honestly. Really? Yeah, that says a lot too. Because I think it's more digestible, and it has a lot of the twists and turns and the holy cow moments of when people, because he's not afraid to kill off certain characters and everything like that. Um, when he kills them off, it's those same holy cow moments that you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe he did that. <laughs> like mm-hmm. he killed off one of the best characters and all of a sudden everything is turned and the hero is, there's points like in the third book, the hero is at his absolute lowest point ever. And then he has to come back and rise again. And it's pretty, it's incredible. It's a, it's a great series. I love it. I'm actually, I've been, I've actually really reduced my fiction consumption over the past, I guess like two years. And now I, I really primarily read nonfiction now. I, kinda, I like somewhere in the middle too. I like, I feel like it's like too in self-indulgent. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't know. Like, I feel like it's like to, 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 to watch, to read a, read a fiction book. I kind of like consider on the same level as watching the movie or something, yeah. which is fine. It's just entertainment um, where it's like reading nonfiction is there's something more like noble about that or yeah. something more, more to be learned from it, I guess. Yeah. And so it's, I give myself more of a pass and it's, a, a, but like, I feel, I feel like too self-indulgent reading, reading too much fiction, which sounds kind of crazy, mm-hmm. but um, I've kind of shifted away. Yeah. We're about to read uh, for my school book club, um, Enlightenment Now by Steven Pinker. Have you heard anything about no. him? I, so I haven't read the book yet, but I'll, I'll tell you when I'm done. The whole art, it's a whole book just basically arguing that we live in a better world than has ever existed ever. And we're being tricked into thinking that things are way worse than they actually are. And it's statistically backed and the, the guy's a credible. Oh yeah. Kind of I've heard scientist. this, like the argument for something like that where we live in the safest time period, Yeah, but 
do compound it by factors of the way news is and everything like that. It's almost portrayed as that we're living in a very terrible society. Yeah. But whereas compared to if you were living in medieval times, you had no connection with anybody and it's very possible. Like if someone just came along and pillaged your village. (laughs) Yeah. You were done. Yeah. Yeah. You were done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So I feel like nonfiction is, I don't know. I feel better about reading it than, than fiction. I've definitely shifted towards there. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's kind of like, that's something we share, like a mutual, like we're looking to get better in pretty much everything that we're doing yeah. to a point where it's kind of exhausting and ridiculous <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. And that that's a good example of that. Mm-hmm. What I do is I have dedicated times yeah, to like, where I can read fiction. That's what I said earlier. You have you've planned relaxation yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. So my, my time is right before bed. And I've talked about this before is that is my fiction time. I don't read fiction any other time. Uh, every other part of the day is for improvement. Um, so if I ever read a book that I, I don't want to read before I go to sleep, the metabolic functions or rates of anything like, or something like the walls protocol. Like I don't want to really want to read that right before I go to bed at night, which is like a couple books that I've sitting lined up, Yeah, but I don't necessarily want to read Tim Ferriss's uh, tribe of mentors or the other one tools of Titans. Even though I love those books, that's more of like a morning thing. I get my day started. I'll pick those tools and then try and improve myself throughout the day. But then when it comes down to nighttime, I give myself the pass. Right. And then, that's more fun stuff. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. when I'm trying to relax. So that's when I reward myself. Um, I heard this before. Like I try to gear my day and get this difficult stuff done early, the work. And then by the end of the day, if I've done all my work, I can give myself massive amounts of reward and not necessarily feel bad about it because... I've already done my work yeah. today. So that's why I enjoy that. But there's, you probably also found that that's like the optimal way to do it anyway, the most effective way anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's another book on my to-do list or my to-read list that's called, uh, it's called When by Dan Pink. Okay. I think, what did he, I think he's famous for, I can't remember if he's the one that wrote Thinking Fast and Thinking Slow. Okay. Uh, but the whole book is all about how science has figured out a bunch of times to optimally do any different task based on, I guess, your personality type and your interest. So he goes down a rabbit hole of when you should eat, when you should read, when you should Mm -hmm. exercise, all that stuff, and how you can get significantly greater benefit and it can be significantly less taxing on your like will your willpower to mm-hmm. do things at different places. So when I'm done reading that, I'll, uh, I'll let you know what I came up with and see if compare how much we actually already do. That's like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now I'm reading the nonfiction book I'm reading now is the, the mind mindful athlete, I believe by George Mumford. So that one's, I love that book because it's directly applicable to me. So it's all, it's like he trained Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, and hmm. um, Phil Jackson. Like, so he's trained like Sha- Shaquille O'Neal. So I like that. And that's his, all his thing, all his stuff is mindfulness and how to be more present in the moment and improve yourself and just being a more mindful person. And then applying that to then athletics. So I really like that because I don't know, nonfiction, it seems that you can really directly draw from other people's real life experiences and then use that to improve yourself. Yeah. And it resonates a little bit more than someone like fiction, I guess for me. Yeah. Where the struggle of the hero is definitely, you can take from it. You can definitely take from it and learn from it and apply to your life. But some it's resonates more when you know that somebody actually went through that. And the the person that actually went through it is probably going to give you specific actionable steps of that. Like, this is how I did it. This is something that help me as opposed to like, if it is something fiction that you're going to like draw some kind of major life lesson from, you have to digest it 
you have to think about it and then you probably have to wait for a moment to be for it to be applicable in your life mm-hmm. yeah because there's a place for both yeah yeah for sure reading is a uh, it, it, it's also alarming to me how few people read oh yeah that's... it's it's kind of insane and i see that as a back to the teaching thing a failure as a, like our education system uh, one of my i would say like my biggest focus in the way i teach is i want kids to have a better attitude about reading yeah. when they leave my room i had a great teacher actually mm-hmm. and that's why i think i'm into reading was because it was actually in sixth grade mm-hmm. um she wasn't necessarily the best teacher but the format was uh there was a reward for whoever read the most books mm. and you what you had to do is you had to read the book and then you had to write a report on it and it was like a one page just felt report mm-hmm. and like everyone else got like six or seven books throughout the year i got like 35 <laughs> So it's like, good. If you put that out there, kids yeah. will follow. I do I do a 40 book challenge in my room. Yeah. And at the end of the year, the kids are always like, I never thought I would have gotten even if they don't get the 40. Like if you get a, if a kid reads 25 books in a that's year, a that's a lot of books considering all yeah. the other stuff they're doing. Even if they're not necessarily that long. But mm-hmm. ever since then, like and I just started consuming books. Mm-hmm. And that's where my love of books started really. Yeah. Was that. And I man, I read so many fiction books then. And that's I, I mean I could definitely it worked perfectly for me because there was a competition mm-hmm. and it was like who can read the most books <laughs> and so I was like I'm going to do that so let's let's. I have a question that I told you I was going to bring this up so let's kind of segue that point so we have people that like reading is something that people should be doing yes for sure that so. they don't for yeah. whatever reason um, exercise maybe they're doing it but they're not doing as much that as they should or whatever that one confuses me that one confuses me nutrition yeah other mindful practices mm-hmm. like i think if you asked most people they want to be doing these things yeah. but they aren't yeah and like i said earlier sometimes that that's difficult for me to understand yeah like um so for me this sorry to cut you off no go for it the um the working out one kind of confuses me so because you have extremely so I think that the stereotype is is that you have I guess a someone who's stuck at their desk all day they don't really work mm-hmm. that much or even say like in today's society the way I kind of this is my example of it is a couple of my brother's friends they're all on the computer all the time but a couple of him them now are starting to really get into working out and being fitness and I think there was kind of I don't know if it's my age group or whatever but the people that are really creative or maybe work at the computer all day, and they're really smart people, but they don't necessarily – maybe they don't dedicate the time to work out, but they know the benefits of it. Um, they're, they're extremely smart people, but some maybe they don't know the benefits of it. So that one confuses me because it's quite clear that exercising in some way, in whatever way possible, is it, it's good for you. But people don't seem to do it, and I don't know if that's just – I don't know where that stems from. If it's just too hard, but then I think it might be their interaction with working out wasn't necessarily as good as it could have been because yeah. you don't have to necessarily work out super hard and still get all the benefits from it. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. That one's the one that confuses me the most because everyone seems to know that working out is good for you. And, and there's so many people that don't do it or like yeah. they do it like once a month. I don't know. I think there's some people that would say it's discipline. Mm. I feel like it can't be lack of knowledge anymore because you have access to every workout you could ever want is on the internet, every yep. instructional. Mm-hmm. Uh, it isn't like you were saying, lack of like not, not I, knowing the benefits. People are smart, you know, people, they so know what, like, and even if you're not the smartest person, you, you have access to those things. And um, I mean, I'm not the smartest person, obviously. So you have access to those things and it's not hard to figure out that working out is good for you. And it's just, 
I wish more people would work out. So kind of also one thing I want to do with the podcast is, is just people, if they don't necessarily work out, I want to kind of maybe somehow influence them to. Well, that's kind of, so that's, that was ultimately where I was getting eventually was, Mm -hmm. so you, so you, you have, uh, a armchair expertise. I don't know if that's like a, uh, what's it called when two things contradict, that's a kind of a contradiction, but like. You have an armchair expertise about a bunch of different areas, wellness, um, and a bunch of other weird stuff, I too. I think for my age. Oh, yeah. For, uh, c- considering you're 22, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, but, and you're doing this show. Yeah. And I assume that part of the reason you're doing the show, and I think you were just saying this, is to help people yeah. like live better lives, yeah. live healthier lives, mm-hmm. um, achieve what they want. So then, like, what have you, what do you think? Like how, what have you been thinking about like getting that to, to like kind of distill down to actionable stuff for people to do in whatever of those areas? Is there like any for kind fitness? of like, well, that's, what I was going to say whatever framework is, is there a, is there a consistent thing that you are the, the, for the way you approach getting people to do stuff or think about things or yeah. is it different for so every area? I was actually just talking to someone about this now for those of the people that have been listening to the podcast a little bit now, and I'm actually like at, 60 uploads now Mm -hmm. so they probably people are starting to get an idea of who i am Mm -hmm. but um i haven't like really really deep delved down into it but nutrition is where i started all right everybody that was my episode with chris that was just part two Thank you so much for tuning in. Next week, episode 15, part three is going to come out with Chris, and that is going to be a lot about nutrition and my thoughts on nutrition and some of the tips that he wants to hear from me. And after that, we go into a bunch of different other things. And this episode was super fun. I was glad that I was able to find a decent part to cut it off. It's kind of weird to cut it off. But anyway, thanks for tuning in this week, guys. If you missed part one, that came out last week. And then part two was obviously just now. And then part three will come out next week. All right, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Have a good rest of the week and kill it. Bye.